Amen. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, team. Is God good? Amen. We used to do a little thing. We'll try to revive it today. We'd say, is God good? And you say all the time. And then I say all the time. And you say, God is good. Can we try that? Is God good? All the time. All All right. We're going to talk about shouting about the Lord today. Can we shout in church? Yeah, we're going to try it in a little bit. Uh, I want to thank, first of all, all the people who have been writing uh, the uh, original psalms. And if you have not had a chance to enjoy those or to let those soak into your spirit, if you go down the hallway toward the auditorium on the left-hand side, uh, you'll see uh, at least a dozen psalms that people have written as the Lord laid it on their hearts. Some of them are paraphrases. Others are just strictly psalms from the heart. And I would like to start the message today by reading one of those. It's a paraphrase, or it's called a remix of Psalm 104. And, uh, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to share in your community groups after I've read this just what thoughts pop up in your mind as we read from Psalm 104, a paraphrase version. God gives me a hand up into his cloud chariot, and I shield my eyes from the brilliance of his presence against a pavilion of starlight. A gust of wind sends us on our way. I hear God giving commands to the earth below, so I peer over the puffy side of the cloud chariot and watch in wonder as the earth rumbles. In the time lapse of creation, mountains grow tall, valleys settle in, and rivers and seas find their boundaries. As I watch, God sets the earth on its foundation. In his wisdom, God fills the earth with his creatures. After a night marked by the moon, the sun marks the beginning of day. I watch as the night animals retreat to sleep and people awaken to go about their daily business. We float along a gentle breeze and far below are productive fields that nourish humans and verdant pastures that feed the cattle. We hover over a grove of cypress trees and I see the protection they offer the birds that nest in them. Soaring over the highest mountains in the midst of a snow squall, I see openings in the crags that provide cover for goats. Beyond the mountains, we dip down over the sea. Myriad types of marine life appear beneath the surface of the water, while on the water's surface, all types of cargo ships travel to and from exotic places. Everything I see depends on God for survival. But I don't need to worry. He takes pleasure in all he has made. I'm amazed at what God has created and his love for his creation. As I climb out of God's cloud chariot, I hear all of nature praising God, bird songs, leaf rustles, animal voices, and wind whispers. I'm filled with song. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. Why don't you gather with three or four or five or six so whatever works out for you in your community or in your neighborhood and uh, just share a little bit of what, what spoke to you from that psalm from 104. Go.
30 seconds to wrap it up. Does anyone want to shout out what spoke to you from Psalm 104 this morning? Not all at once. Wow, you're a shy bunch. Who wants to be first? Praise ye the Lord. Yes, anyone else? Yes, he takes pleasure in all he's made. I just wonder sometimes what he's thinking as he looks down and takes... I, I picture him being like a father who's watching his children play in the playground. And uh, it's, he's, he's made quite a playground for all of us. <laughs> Anyone else? Safe no matter where you are. Good. The Lord provides everything. We all depend on him. Yes, anyone else? Isn't that amazing? He's so vast and powerful, and yet he cares for us. That's a good one to start into Psalm 33, which is our text for today. I believe it's number 549 in the Pew Bible. And it starts out with a, with a command to praise, with an invitation to praise. Psalm 33, verses 1 to 3, we'll start out with today. It says this, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-stringed instrument. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. I see four things, and, and if I could have the first slide, it says to sing joyfully and skillfully. Some of us can sing skillfully, some of us can't, but we can all do it joyfully, right? So that's, that's his invitation to us, joyfully and skillfully. He tells us to play with instruments. Uh, I am just amazed at people who can make instruments sound good. Uh, I've tried on a number of them, and they just... Have you ever tried a violin and hear it screech and squall? And that's kind of how my musical instrument stuff goes. But I am in awe of people who can make guitars sound good and, and uh, drums and, and all of the percussion instruments and all of the woodwinds and the brass and, and uh, the string section. It's just beautiful uh, to the Lord as we give Him our excellence, our skillful play, uh, playing of instruments. He said, sing with a new song. And then He said, sing with a shout. Lift up a shout to the Lord. And I was talking with the 8 o'clock crowd, and they're not a real shouting bunch. And I, and I often hear, you know, <clears throat> well, what about reverence? And, and uh, I, I would just like to suggest today that reverence is not a synonym of death. Reverence, I like to define reverence as a deep understanding of who God is. And you know what? When I have a deep understanding of who God is, sometimes I get happy. <laughs> I, I jump for joy when I think of who God is. And it's all right to do that. 
I think of the song that we sing, Lord of all the earth, we shout your name. Sing with me. Don't make me do this alone. Shout your name, filling all the earth with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O Lord. Okay, we're doing it, going to do it again, but the cue there is shout, okay? When we get to that Yahweh part, I want to I have the whole town of Pella hear us, okay? Lord of all the earth. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling all the earth with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O oh Lord. Once again, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O oh Lord. You know what Scripture tells us? When we shout the praises of God, the enemy hightails it out of there. That's, that's scriptural. It confounds the enemy. It confuses the enemy when we enter into a battle with praise. So that's why the psalmist says, praise the Lord. I think of the story of David when he was dancing before the Lord with all of his might as the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Jerusalem. And his wife, Michael, was watching from an upstairs window, and it says she despised him in her heart because he was making a fool out of himself in worship. And um, David had quite a reply for it. He said, I'll become even more undignified than this <laughs> in my worship and praise of God. But there's an interesting part of that story that we don't often uh, cue in on. It says at the end of that chapter, it says, and from that day on, Michael, the wife of David, was barren. She could have no children. And I believe that when we cease to praise, we die. When we choose to have a critical spirit instead of a praising spirit, it kills something in us. And I just, uh, our whole lesson today is about life. And I think the key to life is to praise God, to lift up our voice every opportunity we have in praise to Him. So shout his praises, sing with a new song, play your instruments, do it jo joyfully and skillfully as we praise the Lord and the enemy runs away because of our praises. Praise is the natural expression of a soul that is alive to God. Worship is the natural expression of a soul that is in love with God. When we praise, it stirs up the life of God in us. When I began attending here about eight years ago, Keith was doing a series called The Chain Reaction of Praise. You remember these cards? And uh, recently he and Kathy Evanhouse have, have written a book called uh, Strike the Match, Light the Fire. And it talks about this chain reaction of praise and it goes like this. Praising the Lord activates our faith to pray powerful prayers, to overcome evil, to enable us to rule and reign with Christ. That's all of the things that happen when we begin the chain reaction of praise. We all know it. We just need to do it. All right? So let's make that our goal. It's, a, it's an invitation from Scripture, from Psalm 33 to praise. There's at least five reasons that are given to us in Psalm 33 of why we should praise the Lord, and I'm going to talk about those quickly today. The first one is the Word of the Lord, and then the plans of the Lord, the people of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord, and the love of the Lord. That's where we're going to go today, and we want to start with verse 4 as it talks about the Word of the Lord. In Psalm 33, verse 4, we read this, "'For the Word of the Lord is right and true.'" 
He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The word of the Lord is right, true, and just, we read in those verses. I like the verse from Romans 3, 4. This was one of my, uh, my mom's favorite verses. She, she was a scriptural encyclopedia. Uh, she had verses memorized for every situation in life, and I always got to hear them whether I wanted to or not. Uh, one blessing I had growing up was I got to bump into God every time I turned around, and uh, mom saw to it. And one of her scriptures that she quoted often was Romans 3, 4, says, let God be true and every man a liar. I think of that verse whenever I watch the news. <laughs> I'm not saying all newscasters are liars. I'm just saying we need to judge everything by the Word of God because His Word is the last word, always. Always has been, always will be. Let God be true and every man a liar. God's Word is creative, forceful, and firm. And that Psalm 104 that we read earlier just did a beautiful job, both in the Scripture and in the paraphrase of the creativity of our God and the life that He breathes into everything around us. Everything is, is created by Him, and it says in Hebrews that everything is sustained by His Word. So God not only created, but, but it's forceful, it's firm, it sustains our creation. There's a line in there that uh, captured my attention being the lover of oceans that I am not. Uh, it says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars and puts the deep into storehouses. In our family, Deb's the one that loves the ocean. I just go <laughs> and, tr and try to enjoy it. But I, I, having said that, I am fascinated. I am fascinated by the uh, overwhelming magnitude of the ocean and all of the life that it supports. I think that uh, scientists estimate that there are 352 quintillion gallons of water in our Earth's oceans. That's 352 followed by eight, eight, 18 zeros, in case you're interested. And that kind of got me to thinking, which is kind of a dangerous thing. Um, you can ask Deb or ask our pastoral care team. Every once in a while, my thinking goes kind of crazy. In fact, one time we were having a pastoral care team meeting, and and I think we wasted half of the meeting because I came in with a question, what would it be like to ride on the outside tip of those wind turbines? <laughs> That's kind of how my mind thinks sometimes. Maybe, this could, maybe we could make money uh, uh, selling seats on, on the wind turbine. And, and uh, Carl and Jane, thought they already thought I was nuts. Then after that, they knew. Uh, but I did a little research on that, and I found out that the G-force would kill you in about one minute. So decided that probably wasn't a good idea. Uh, the tip speed on those is about 180 mile an hour and uh, in excess of 10 Gs. So um, probably not a good idea. But I got to thinking about the oceans. And I was thinking, what would it, how long would it take to drain the ocean using a pitcher? It says God stores the, the oceans in, in jars. How many jars does he have? 
Now, I know that's talking about the water cycle, but we'll get back to that in a little bit. It is theoretically possible, you know, to drain the ocean. If you're willing to dedicate your whole life to it, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and if your lifespan is about 67 trillion years, <laughs> it could be done. Not sure you, where you'd go with all the water but <laughs> when you dipped it out, but all I'm saying is it's measurable. God gathers it up in jars, and I want, you to, I want this point to be in your mind for later on. As massive as the ocean is, it's still measurable, okay? So hold that thought. We'll come back to it later. As I said, really this verse is all about the water cycle. God storing the water up, and even back then they understood that water somehow got from the ocean to heaven and then came back down again. The water cycle of evaporation and condensation and precipitation. Do you realize how much we depend upon that? Isn't it amazing how God designed our universe? Someone said it this way, we owe our entire existence to six inches of topsoil and the fact that it rains. And I was telling Deb about this, and she says, you ought to write a country song about that. <laughs> and I said, Luke Bryan already did. Rain grows corn, corn grows. I just wanted to see how many of you fine church folks knew about whiskey. <laughs> uh, you can listen to that on the way home, maybe. I'd... It's actually kind of an entertaining song. But it's amazing how much we depend how much we depend upon God sustaining our universe day by day and moment by moment. The Word of God is powerful and effective, Isaiah said. His ways are above our ways. When God speaks, it happens. His Word is firm, secure, creative, true, just. So I don't know what voices you listen to. Uh, I just was... I spend a lot of time with people who are battling sickness and who are near death. But I'm, and, and Clayton did such a wonderful job last week talking to us about hope in death and the fact that death is all swallowed up in victory. And for the child of God, the Word of God is true, and one day we'll shed this old body. And Rick and I were just talking about it. We have a friend that's uh, near end of life's journey with cancer. Uh, there's a place that cancer has to check at the door, and it is no more. Cancer does not win for the believer in Jesus Christ. None of the things of this earth measure up to the powerful Word of God. The second thing that this psalm talks about is the plans of the Lord, and we read about that in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 33. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of His heart through all generations. All of the uh, I did a little study a couple weeks ago about the empires and the dynasties that have controlled our world since the beginning of history. And historians believe there have been about 300 major empires that have come and gone. Right now, after those 300 have come and gone, there are about 195 nation-states that are recognized by the United Nations in our world today. But I want you to know that of all the loud dictators, kings, and tyrants of history, they have formed their armies, they've waved their swords, they've issued their decrees, but all of them surrendered to a cold, dark grave, and their empires vanished. 
Even the mighty Roman Empire that lasted for over a thousand years, people said it would never end. And yet, it was gone and it was known no more. All we have is history books that tell about it. Their kingdoms faded away, but in the little insignificant village of Bethlehem, a king was born in a barn, <laughs> and history was changed forever. If I could take you to the back of the book for just a little bit, in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 5 or 15, we read the words that the, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and when he sounded his trumpet, there was a great voice in heaven that said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And if, you, if we could sing the hallelujah chorus, this would be the perfect time to do it. King of kings, Lord of lords, forever, forever. The plans of the Lord are eternal. Then I want to talk for a moment about the people of the Lord. I need a little water here. Sorry. Verse 12 talks about blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. And I want to take a few minutes to address the delicate idea of Christian nationalism and national pride and patriotism. That's a big thing in our day today. And I want to say, first of all, that uh, it's very clear from our history that we were founded on, not as a secular nation, but as a nation who believed in God and in His Word. And I want to say that I believe with all of my heart and I will do everything in my power at the voter's box and with my free speech to defend that and to do everything I can to preserve that. But there's something that we need to understand today, and I want to make this very clear. We are a blessed nation, and we should never become a proud nation. There is a big difference between being a blessed nation and a proud nation. Verse 16 and 17 tells us what a, a proud nation does. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. And I might put in there an elephant and a donkey are just as useless <laughs> in preserving. You see, our strength is in the Lord because we've been blessed. And I would like to implore us in the whole nationalism debate, to think of it this way. As a church, God has not called us to preserve a Christian nation. God has called us to be a nation of Christians. And I think there's a big difference. Our commission, our great commission is to go and make disciples of all people in all nations, not just the USA. I hate to break it to you, but God does not wear red, white, and blue. <laughs> You read the book of Revelation, and it'll be from every tongue and tribe and nation. I think Pastor Kevin has said in heaven there'll probably be more people uh, of different colors than there are of us old white folks. We need to understand that God's kingdom is way bigger. The USA, God love her, I love her, but it's going to one day be in the list of 300 empires that have risen and have fallen but the kingdom of God will still live on. Folks, let's put our money 
what's going to last forever. Let's put our energies in what's going to last forever, and let's fill our world with followers of Jesus Christ. Can we do that, church? Yes. The people of the Lord, we're a blessed nation, not a proud nation. And then I want to talk about the eyes of the Lord in verses 13 to 15. From the heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. And then in verse 18, I love this, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. If I could have the next slide, we read there in those verses that God sees all, he watches all, he considers all, but that's not the end of the story. God isn't just up in heaven looking over all of creation. He zooms in to each one of us. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on his people, those that he's chosen for his inheritance. I love it when God sees, when God zooms in on my life, what I'm going through. I want you to know today that God sees. There are scriptures over and over and over through the Bible where it talks about God seeing the plight of, the, of his people in, in Egypt. God saw Hagar uh, in her in a distress. It says that God saw Abraham and his faith. He saw Noah and his faithfulness. He looked down and he saw, he saw, he saw. And I would like to recommend, we don't have the time to watch it today because it's about a 12-minute video. But I would like to recommend the video, The God Who Sees, by Nicole C. Mullen. Uh, grab you about two boxes of Kleenex because you'll need them. It's a powerful story of God looking down on Hagar, of God looking down on Ruth, of God looking down on David as he hid in the cave uh, running for his life, as God looked down on Mary Magdalene in that garden when she was crying her eyes out over Jesus' death. And he came and he spoke her name. And this song by Nicole Mullen is a powerful, powerful song about the God who sees, the God who zooms in to where you live. And this might be a word to someone here today. You know, we're good at singing the songs about the mighty God over all things. He sees everything. But I want you to know today that God is seeing where you are in this moment in time and he is taking note. He hears your prayers. You may be waiting for an answer, but I want to tell you, God is listening. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying. He's the God who sees. And then finally, I want to talk, probably the emphasis on my message today is on the love of the Lord. Three times in this chapter, it talks about his unfailing love. Verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. In verse 18, we read, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. And then the last verse, 22, may your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Romans chapter 8 is a scripture that we use often at end of life, but I think it's something we need to be reminded of continuously. 
that God's love is unfailing, God's love is immeasurable. We read these words, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is unfailing. God's love is immeasurable. One of my uh, favorite pastors is a pastor of a church in the Quad Cities in Illinois, and, and uh, his, the, his church motto is loving people to life. And it's amazing when we experience God's love in a personal way. It's amazing how it can change our whole atmosphere. Loving people to life. There was a song, remember when I said earlier about talking about the ocean being measurable? There was a song written in 1917 by a businessman by the name of Patrick Lehman. He had failed in business and had traveled out to California and found himself packing oranges in an orange factory. And while he was doing this, what most would call mindless work, he began to contemplate the love of God. And he wrote these words that some of you may know from the old hymn book, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Patrick wrote two verses for this song, but he couldn't come up with his closing verse. He couldn't quite nail the song down, and, and so he did a lot of searching through poetry and we don't even know who wrote the last verse of that song, but it was a Jewish rabbi from the 10th century, as far as we know. And Patrick Lehman found it by someone who had discovered it on a prison wall, had scribbled this poem down, and so he turned it into the last verse of his song, and it goes like this. Could we rethink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole Though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. God's love is measureless, it's unfailing, and I want to close with this thought, it's personal. Just like I talked about the eyes of the Lord, if I could have the praise team go ahead and come into place. 
As I talked about the eyes of the Lord when they zoom in, I want you to know the love of the Lord does the same thing. I wish I could hear all of the stories in this room today about where God's love became personal. It's one thing to write about it in songs and, and uh, this, this worldwide view of God's love, but what about when he came to your house? I've shared this, parts of this story before, and I, I hate to bore you with it, but it just fits so good about a day when God's love became personal to me. I was in a man camp in the oil fields in, in Williston, North Dakota, and my love tank was bone dry. There wasn't any coming in, and there was none going out. <laughs> I was bitter. I was on the run from God. I was challenging Him, but yet I was trying to hold on to Him. Have you ever been there? And um, it was Christmas time, and, and I had gotten one Christmas card that year. Out of all the hundreds of people I knew, I'd gotten one Christmas card, and, and um, it, on the front it said, it was from someone I admired more than anyone in all the world, and on the front it said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. You know the Christmas cards. And I opened it up, and there were three pages of reprimand for the decisions that I had made and how I had failed the family and failed God. And I was bone dry. And I remember trying to read the Christmas story that, that day, and I came to the part with a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and all I saw was a baby looking at me with a scowl. And then kind of a strange thing happened. I started singing this song that I don't even like at Christmas time, The Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> Just an annoying song, pum 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 And I got to the part, I got, I got to thinking, you know, that guy's a lot like me. He had nothing to bring except an old worn out drum and a couple of sticks. And a, at that moment, I had a vision of me in the stable with the little drummer boy's drum and a couple of sticks. And I just began to hit that drum. Just so you know, I have no rhythm. I'll never be a drummer. But on that day, <laughs> I was drumming away. My, it's the only gift I could give. And then a miracle happened. I looked down in the manger and the baby smiled at me. And I was forever touched in that moment by God's personal love. Oh yeah, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell, but it reached to me. And what I want to do today is the praise team sing some songs of praise and I think one of them is about his love never gives up. Would you open your heart to his love today? Maybe something that Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning has just created a, a real thirst for his love. Communion is available anytime during this time of worship. Encourage you to come and remember the sacrifice of Jesus and his love for you, his immeasureless love for you. There are prayer ministers here to minister to you, but this is a time for us to bask in and to open our hearts to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Don't go away from here without a fresh refill of his love and of his spirit today. Let's sing.